The Invictus Mind, episode 18. Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Hi, this is Mike. There are many stories we are hearing on social media and on the networks from the corporate press and from various podcasters about how to handle the coronavirus pandemic. I assure you that myself included do not have all the answers. However, like most of you, I have lots of questions. Nevertheless, after now four weeks of hysteria, there doesn't seem to be any end to the speculative decisions made by various governments around the United States and the world. And while there are many hypotheses, I think the best thing to do is to take in all the information and use our critical thinking skills to come up with a plan for ourselves and our family. In my discussion today, I spoke with a unique thinker who has an interesting idea about how to break down what is apparent, the uninspired, confused, inefficient, and quite literally corrupt system of governments we have in this country. Fair warning, for those with kids listening, there is adult language used in this podcast, which I did not want to water down for this interview. So maybe listen while they are sleeping or playing somewhere. Well, hi, my guest today is a former United States Army Intelligence Sergeant. He was an ammunition supply specialist and infantryman. He also served in the U.S. Navy as an electronics technician. After being medically discharged and serving 17 years of active service, he now resides with his family in Texas. Since then, he has authored a book entitled A Direct Republic, The Null Hypothesis of Politics, where he discusses three important topics. All war is based on deceptions, politics is war by any other means, and truth is the first casualty of war. He is Donnie Gebert. doing today donnie pretty good mike good finally getting over the technology gap yes yes it's been a couple of weeks and uh, some frustrating technology but uh, we are talking <laughs> it, it looks like you're alive and well despite the coronavirus and everyone being shut down yeah my work is not of course as everyone found out 85 percent of humanity is essential after the order that everyone was shutting down except for the 85 percent of you yeah, you know, I think that uh, everyone's job is essential to their own family, so I don't even know what that word essential means. Exactly. That last 15% should ask themselves, why aren't they essential enough? 
<laughs> so, anyway, uh, it's been a little crazy for two weeks. I know when we first started talking a couple weeks ago, we were uh, just seeing the beginning of the new shift in the world, if you would, a new world order. I hate to use that phrase, but it seems like that's what's becoming. And uh, now more than ever, I think some of the things that you have been sharing with people and with your book is pertinent to uh, what seems like a, a, a falling apart economy. For the record, I invented legal social distancing. Okay, so this is all just new stuff that everybody's catching on to. I knew what social distancing looked like because decentralized legislature. So now there's a new term that everybody can can pass around. It's called social distancing. Well, when you do it in a legal sense, it's called a decentralized legislature. Thanks. So if you're when I was writing the book, I, I think I put something in there about you know, keeping other people's legal, it's legal hygiene. You're keeping people's legal germs off of you. Well, now everybody is getting the scare of the lifetime, whether or not it's real. There are, there are reports that, so Joe Rogan comes out, I don't know, the last two days and says that 20 million people fell off of the Chinese telephone grid. Now, when they did their 5G switchover. So that could be the CCP denying phone service to 20 million people they didn't like or care about. It could also mean that 20 million Chinese are dead. So I have no idea how that shakes out because we aren't getting really good information. We may be having a serious biological warfare problem, but we're definitely having a serious psychological warfare problem. So we got to start, you know, sifting through what's what's serious and what's not serious and what's real and who's actually in charge of what. And it turns out that the president can shut down about 15 percent of the economy. Yes, uh, it's, it's really scary out there. I was I was a little upset this morning as I heard another report about the, the numbers and statistics. You don't know what to believe. I mean, this is the era of fake news, not to coin the president directly, but uh, how do you know who's real, who's not? Like you said, it, it could be uh, biological warfare, but psychological, definitely. A lot of people are feeling it. The reaction to this is a demonstration that everybody has a little psychological warfare caught in their head. Because a lot of people are freaking out over, do you know anyone who has COVID-19? I actually have heard that one gentleman, he's an older gentleman, he's probably like 73 or 74. He's uh, somebody I used to go to the Libertarian Party with. Uh, so he's the only okay. person I've heard of that. So, you, so you've heard of it? Well, I don't. I don't know any. And I don't know anyone who knows anyone, and you're the first person. I'm not telling everybody, you know, we should be questioning that there isn't a biological weapon. I just think, you know, the way the government has always said, don't let any um, catastrophe go to waste. I think we might be getting hyped up where they're going to try to blame the economic problems that everyone has been watching develop for the last 10, 12 years. Now the governments are going to try to craft a narrative where COVID-19 was the reason this all happened. It wasn't government monetary chicanery and bullshit regulatory policy that caused the economic collapse. It wasn't that. It was the random superbug that shows up right on time. And that's kind of, I think, the bullshit that we all have to really get around right now. Of course. While, while maintaining some decent hygiene standards and not, not potentially exposing ourselves to what is very live biological weapons instead of just live bullshit. <laughs> well, of course, uh, you know, the government does that the best more than anything is just craft a story of whatever they want uh, people to believe. And people fall for it very easily. It just blows my mind. 
yeah, for twelve hundred bucks, they'll fall for it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, they're at this point. You know, <clears throat> some people would say that certain part politicians were buying voters with their stances. Now the entire system is purchasing voters to just show up. Hmm. They're buying. They're buying people's participation now. So I think we're seeing the fiat standard die. And I've been doing like a little research on it. We kind of ran on that petrodollar standard, but what it really was is the human economy ran on <clears throat> petroleum and plastics. And, you know, that was the paradigm of energy that our entire species was living on. And that has kind of moved up to where we are living on what, what would just sanely be called a kilowatt hour. So you could produce a kilowatt hour if you had an exercise bike, but then you'd find out how really inefficient you are compared to one gallon of gas in a gasoline generator generating kilowatt hours. You find out how really inefficient your tired old ass is. And that's what the, the monetary system seems to be crashing. And I think we're switching over to this energy standard now where the kilowatt hour is kind of the... It's kind of like a level play, playing field. The dollar had a lot of monetary mechanics that made it globally dominant. If you kick that, if you make our global currency standard something that's convertible into kilowatt hours, it's real hard to play monetary chicanery with it. Doesn't matter where you are. That's really interesting thought right there. I was noticing that all these technology companies, their stock is rising as everyone else is going down. So Zoom and Netflix and, you know, all the. Uh, uh, the communication devices like Skype that we're on and everything else. Um, yeah, at this point, they're printing so much money that the people who were getting, you know, bullshit money and maybe it's time for them to retrace to zero. Some of those companies will die and there's so much inflation that it has to go somewhere. So there's a lot of people are I mean, with the with the level of inflation that's happening on a daily basis now. Everybody's going to have to realize that the dollar is the treadmill that everybody's working for. You don't have to like that standard, but that standard is manipulable and the Federal Reserve is doing it right now. So they're printing away your savings and making. There's no way they're advertising this much inflation and the inflation this year is going to be three percent. There is no way. You know what I'm saying? So everybody has to realize if you're taking United States dollars paycheck you are going to be working for the Federal Reserve and all of the things that the U.S. dollar supports, which is pretty much the federal government. And when you start moving away from that standard, you will not be supporting that economy. And that's kind of how it works. So when you start taking dollars and economic energy away from the dollar is how you kind of get these things to stop happening. And that's why it's, that's why it's been mandatory and nobody could run away from it for the last 50 years. Well, Donnie, I know I gave you a great introduction there, but uh, just for the benefit of my listeners, uh, why don't we start with telling me a little bit about your background, uh, why you got into uh, the world that you're in now, uh, talking about Direct Republic, and, and some of the things that you saw with your experience that uh, led you down this path. So I started off the Army, um, you know, right out of high school, and the information that you get in school, uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I was about half public school, half private. So I got educated, but the difference between public and private school education really seemed to be the difference between religious and not religious. 
the curriculum standard didn't seem to be too much different. The private school one was a little higher. So I start heading into the military, a Republican, um, yes, authoritarian, but not, you know, a constitutionalist level worth of authoritarian. I don't mean a revisionist constitutionalist. I mean a constitutionalist a la Ike. There is a military industrial complex. It cannot be fed ad nauseum. You know, that kind of, and, you know, I was headed into the military. I knew a little bit more about it because I had family in the military. So I was quasi-educated, you know, high schooler, which is pretty bad. You know, signing a contract to go to fight war, you, I really didn't know what I was getting into. And then I self-directed my own career. So I ended up, my first job was ammunition supply. And you don't really, you know, it's not, it's not the army that they put in the commercials. It's ammunition bunkers and keeping tally of stuff and making sure stuff doesn't disappear. It's like a warehousing operation. That's it. It's not the sexy end, but it's the end that everything runs on. So that I got out in 1999 because there was nothing going on. The military was downsizing. I went to my national guard unit. My national guard unit had a bunch of special forces guys that were really good at training people on how to do all the things. So even though it was part time, I got to hang out with these guys, you know, lunches and, you know, weekends. And we, we did all kinds of stuff together. I learned an awful lot in that little bit of time. So I was National Guard infantry, but trained by the best people in the business. Uh, 9-11 happened. I went and joined the Navy. I was going to be a SEAL. After all the training with the Special Forces guys in my part time, I decided to go back full time. Um, injured up. Didn't. Didn't really like the Navy, but what I did get was a full Navy experience. A couple of years on shore, a couple of years on a boat. I got to experience not the Army. Um, didn't like the Navy, but I was an electronics technician, so I got a, a radar, radio, radio and radar. And, you know, looking at the big map, we are not moving you and your platoon. We are moving a fleet on the face of the planet. And it's, it's kind of interesting how a fleet and a platoon move the same. They kind of move the same way, except it's just such a different scale, such a massive different scale. So I didn't like the Navy. I went back to the Army, and I went into intelligence. And that kind of rounded out my career into I knew how to do a lot of things. Now I got to see, I, you know, I'm, when you're part of command staff, you basically sit with the commander. You get, you're at the command level, and you get to watch all of the things in the military from that level. You just get trained at how to look at it from that level. And it really starts to help an intelligence guy to have all of these things in, in your repertoire when you're trying to look at, you know, Kosovo was really weird. There was drug issues. There was crime issues. There was EU cops. There was Serbian cops. There was Kosovo cops. Like lots of intermingling of stuff and you get the real understanding of the complexities of the battlefield not what they tell you on tv hmm. yeah my uh, my brother was in a navy for five years and uh, what i've deduced from our conversation is what they tell you on tv and what's in real life are are 180 degree different uh <laughs> from the truth i think it's 179 degrees and that last degree is the one they take all the pictures <laughs> enough to get you interested in joining the cause right 
Yep, that one that one degree is the is the where the door on the recruiting office is. You just open that up, and it's just that one sliver that you think you're getting involved in. And I just not. I'm a competitive eater when it comes to stuff like that. I have to find out how this how far does this go. What's the extent of this operation? So, you know, the DOD is so big, you can wander around for a long time just satisfying your own curiosity. And it'll make a very interesting and very, um, I don't know, well-rounded career. I was kind of aiming for well-rounded. I like to know how to do all the things in all the directions, and it just it worked out well. Your career is kind of interesting to me because I've always thought that when you're in the military, it's more of just uh, don't ask questions, just do what uh, they tell you to do. And uh, it seems to me that uh, you, you did ask a lot of questions. Um, it, it's kind of that. It's also <clears throat> understanding that I can commit to something for several years, no problem, but I'm not going to be trapped in it if I don't like it. So when you just put that in your mind of, okay, I'm going to go do this for the next couple of years. You just go do that. And then if you don't like it and you're, you're not trapped in doing it. So because I wasn't trapped in doing it, if I didn't like it, I didn't go back. The only thing I reenlisted for was military intelligence and that career. And at that time, that enlistment, the one that I reenlisted for the same job, that one got cut short because of medical. (laughs) So when I finally was willing to settle down and find something in the military that was interesting, it just happened to be near the end of my career, but it wasn't like the rest of it wasn't knowledge and it wasn't interesting. It just wasn't interesting enough for me to do repetitively over and over again. The military intelligence thing, it kind of changes a lot. So it stays fresh because not, not everything stays the same. It's the nature of it. So you just kind of let that information stream drag you along and you know, you're drinking from the information fire hose at a certain point. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I, I, you know, I've, Donnie, I've heard you uh, on a number of podcasts, and, uh, and your Direct Republic podcast is very interesting to me. And uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because you're, and forgive me, because I think in a lot of ways that our conversation could be one of those that people would say, hey, let's put the tinfoil hat on and create, uh, create a world that doesn't exist. But I think that there's a lot of practical information in what you, uh, what you talk about. In fact, I have challenges from many different people outside of the libertarian world. They're like, okay, you're describing this world, but how do you actually put it in place? And so I thought that we would talk a little bit about uh, where you started because you, you, you started today talking about decentralization of the legislature. And I think yeah. that's really what, uh, what intrigued me the most about uh, but your, whole, um, your whole platform. Okay, so – I guess the first lesson I could give, the best lesson I know how to give someone in, in basic problem solving is you learn project management, and that is time, scope, and cost. But there is one of those three factors that 100% never changes, and that is time. So your timeline is absolute. If you lose time, you now have to make it up. You have to find a way to make it up, or you will not finish at that date. Now, sometimes that date is really important, and sometimes you just push the date out farther. But if you run out of funds or whatever, time is the one thing that you're always going to be staring at. But if you run out of budget, time doesn't matter anymore. You don't have any funds. You can't pay anybody to get anything done. So in the time management thing, time is the absolute thing that you have to, you have to lock down. When you're trying to deal with a problem, you have to find out when did this problem begin 
and how is it that I'm dealing with it right now? So if you and I start talking about eminent domain, when did eminent domain begin? A long time ago. This is not a problem that came up in our lifetime. So there's no, it, it's, not, it's not a new thing. We're okay. It's just not a new thing. So you have to look at when did they come up with this kind of thing? When one guy could screw up the property system for thousands. Now that is an excuse for tyranny. That's what it is. But when you look at when they came up with it, one guy who happened to have a certain piece of land could screw up property rights for thousands of people. He, they could take an economic grasp of people because he owned the past. And now everybody up here has to pay the toll. So that, there's just ways that you go into old timey ways of thinking and there's no way to do it. Do we need eminent domain now? No. So that's just one legal premise in a legal system. When you want to decentralize a legislature, you take one of the systems that that legislature deals with. You as a group, as a society, you say, this thing, it's too important for the government to touch it. We're going to take it away and we're going to put it in the free market. Now, a lot of people think that's where tyranny happens, and it really, really doesn't. What happens is government regulation could make it tyrannical. Government regulation allows for monopoly. Otherwise, the market will start ripping at that business that you think is going to get out of hand. Like Jeff Bezos, I don't think Amazon is a bad business because they deliver. It's just a logistical business. It's just if Jeff Bezos spends a lot of money on propaganda through the New York Post, then the problem isn't Amazon. The problem is Jeff Bezos. Right. So, mm -hmm. so delineating the problem. If we're going to take one thing away from the government, we have to know how that thing works. If we do not. All we're going to do is take it out of the government hands and blow it up on our own. So you have a plan and you say, OK, this one thing for the government, it's not going to be held by the government. How does this system function outside of anyone else's control? You know, how does someone put this thing together on their own without statutory permission or funds? And then you tell everyone, everyone must understand. It's kind of like an informed consent kind of thing. Everyone must be educated in this system and its use. That way it will be sustainable. So roads is kind of easy to fix with a, an easy pass. That's it. It's an easy pass system. And if anybody's getting pulled over, it's because they haven't paid for use of the road. It's not because some imaginary infraction has been, has been dealt upon the invisible state. And now you will pay money for no reason. Mm -hmm. So there's reasons you would have a lot of these things. But you just have to understand, you take one thing away. Well, when you take all of the things away, you get a decentralized legislature. You just take them apart one at a time. It sounds really complicated. It, it's kind of not. It's really like taking a Lego castle apart. Yeah, you know, you said that uh, everybody has to agree. But uh, I, I believe there has to be the innovation brought to the public first. I mean, you have to first try and then you test, right? And so you're not going to get a general agreement for everybody all at one time. You have to say, okay, well, here's a new concept. Let's see how this works, test it, and then get people to say, hey, that works. What can we do next? Right. Well, here's where I said, well, yes, I would fundamentally say that civil society has to be a voluntary act. You can't just be born into civil society, be told rules, and then say You're, you know, that human being will probably just start stretching rules. Find out where the gaps are because th this all seems to be a little too convenient. You know, like just a curious person would be wondering about those gaps. 
So once you volunteer for civil society, the question is, what am I volunteering for? So when you can boil down a legislature to everyone who participates in a decentralized legislature volunteers to not murder, rape, or steal. It's basic property. You know, no human harms, no property rights. And the way you define a human harm is you treat the human body as if it's property, but it's not property. So we delineate from property rights. Property cannot ever be a human. That way it doesn't fit into the property rights network. The only person who could make exceptions for their own physical human would be that person. They could say, I will sell my kidney voluntarily. But to say that any property is a, that a human body is a property, it's your, you know, it's the, it's, it's the vessel of your essence, but you can sell parts of it. <laughs> so if you volunteer to sell parts of you, okay, but that needs to be open and transparent and, hey, blockchains. Blockchains can be done where this human being with this private key did, on, did indeed on this day volunteer a kidney. So we really just have to understand what is property rights and why is it here? Socialism is the seizing of the means, and that's a real problem. That's a problem for civil society because if people cannot be secure, then, then it's not civil. You know, the seizing of the means is the opposite of civil society. It's just one way to deal with it when civil society breaks down. Mm -hmm. So we're not really in a civil society breaking down point, but we are already decentralized and everyone's in their house. So maybe everybody wants a free book to figure out how would we take apart a legislature and do the whole thing from home. And everybody represents themselves rather than centralizing the money, centralizing who's going to decide on how it gets done and then watch what a shit show that looks like on TV. <laughs> I, I like how you, uh, you're bringing in the blockchain technology. When I first mm -hmm. started hearing about cryptocurrency, and, I, and I'm a late bloomer when it comes to that, but uh, I really was intrigued when I heard you. I heard you on the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast with uh, with Pete Raymond. And uh, you were Talk talking about... later. Yeah, you, you were talking about the, the blockchain, and, and I think the technology is I've been studying that more and more. It's all open... Uh, it's what did I say? It's uh, it's open, it's transparent, and, and you can tra trace back all transactions. I think that's uh, that's a remarkable way of looking at things. Right. So listen, there's two there's two discussions there. Some of the open ledgers are private. There now, when I say private, you could own a private blockchain. I am not talking about private blockchain. Then there are public blockchains that deal with privacy and what, what is done on those blockchains is fundamentally untraceable. I am not discussing that either. Everything that you and I would consider civil governance should be 100% transparent on an open ledger. So when I say there are no privacy issues for what I'm talking about, we can get into personal privacy about how you and I would deal with our own personal shit in a decentralized manner, that's a different discussion. When I'm talking about public um, institutions, those are supposed to be 100% transparent anyway. So basically, once you understand to use an a blockchain as an attack strategy, you look at a public uh, adventure, uh, whether it's roads or a public healthcare system, if you have one. Uh, I'm not against the public healthcare system, I'm, I'm against taxation. 
taxation is forcible uh, reallocation of property with immunity. It comes with immunity for the people who get it. And that's not, that's, it's just basically make, it's changing the verbiage around on theft. And that's how civil society was supposed to stay together. Well, <clears throat> it doesn't work like that. It obviously doesn't work like that. So rather than pretending we can tax and print, you know, n- none of these government people know how to pull this off without a printing press. They have to, they're at, when you're voting for them, they're saying, if you send me and my ideas to, to, to the printing press, this is what I'm going to print up for you. And that's a big difference between I know how to run a budget. I know what it's going to take to get this done. Here's the cost projections. Here's the people who are going to do it. So if the costs get out of hand, we know the name and the address of the guy who's running up the bill, either because he's a thief or because he's incompetent. But all of this is open and public. And all these public servants basically hide behind FOIA. They hide behind the top secret um, paywall that the government has. If the federal government released all of the information they had on the Chinese Communist Party and all of the business adventures that the Chinese Communist Party uh, partakes in, every one of us could make personal spending decisions about where we would not spend our money based on CCP involvement as a way that we can all thank them for sending us maybe a virus. I'm not certain if there's a big virus problem, but I am certain that we are all slowing the economy because this happened. So because you, there are people who won't go to Chick-fil-A because they are closed on Sunday. There are people who want to go there because they're glad that they can't go there on Sunday. Those people make a decision when they go to Chick-fil-A. Some people don't give a shit about any of that and they just go because they like chicken. So when we're looking at this, it doesn't really matter why somebody wants to spend their money on their money. We don't care. When you decentralize the process, somebody spends money on something and you get to see what they wanted. Instead of filtering all this through political bullshit and uh, what I could accurately and won't bother getting into called psychological warfare. Politicians are practicing psychological warfare right now. If they are hiding us all from a real nasty biological weapon, they should be using that verbiage and informing everyone of a direct threat. This is a weaponized virus by the Chinese Communist Party. Yet, yet, yet. It has killed a lot of people in China. They are covering it up. You know, the government should be kind of coordinating that information. The information we're getting leads me to believe that this isn't as bad as they are as being um, advertised. And then a bunch of politicians are using it to try to cover up an economic disaster. So we shouldn't have to be dealing with an organization that is known to spread bullshit and then be forced to pay for it, you know, either through inflation or through taxation, doesn't matter how you want to believe it's there. It's a garbage organization that's absolutely not helping. So I just kind of look at it as a problem to be solved instead of a belief system to be maintained from antiquity. Yeah, I like how you said belief system because uh, there's a lot of people say that uh, the love of the state is like a religion, like, uh, like Christianity or Judaism or anything else that the, the almighty government will take care of us. But when you have complete transparency, I think that, that makes it completely different. It's the structure. It's the structure of religion. It's not, it's, you, when you take Jesus Christ out of a church, what, what do you have? You're left with somewhat of a hierarchical system. There is a pastor. There might be a couple of people in the church hierarchy that do some stuff. 
And then there is a body of people below there. If you want to put the choir as a special forces team off on the side, I don't care. It, it, like, however you want to structure that, that is a structure that has nothing to do with ideology anymore because you pulled Jesus out of there. When you put L. Ron Hubbard in where Jesus is, you get all the Dianetics and Scientology people. So it's really a structure. Well, when you take Jesus out and you put a red, white, and blue waving flag in there, you get a whole different thing called patriotism. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Some people will, you know, if you're, if you're a patriot and you look around and you try to help your neighbors out and you're just, you know, you're not a shit human, that's it. And that's America to you. And you're just, everybody's trying to get along and we're, everybody's trying to keep the peace. Okay. That's kind of everybody's loose, vague definition of America. If you try to make it the United States, we've kind of already brought 50 legal entities into the conversation that people may or may not like. <laughs> Some people have definitely been harmed by those legal entities, which are represented by real people. You cannot shoot the state. You cannot shoot Jesus. But you can murder apostles. So there's, I'm not saying that the cops should be shot at. I'm saying if you understand the problem, you will no longer pay for your cops. And then you will get the kind of security that won't be out doing things that are not um, in everyone's best interest. Hmm. That's how you, you, you don't necessarily control them through a firefight. You control them through the purse. But when, when there is a printing press and everybody's going to pay for this inflation, everybody's going to pay for it. The cost of goods and services are going to go up. The cost the, that the unit of increment that is the United States dollar slash Federal Reserve note is being expanded with money printing. So because that unit of measure is getting thinner, it's, it's not going to, it's going to take more of those things to pay for stuff. So the $1,200 checks, um, somebody did the math, the overall stimulus package adds about $70,000 debt to each American. And those Americans are going to get $1,200. So if you want to know what the government's really selling, it's bullshit. They're going to print up a bunch of money, keep it, spend it where they think. And then they're going to cut you a $1,200 check and hope you shut up and, and stop asking questions. Yeah, exactly. How long can they do that for? Is it just one time with $1,200? They're going to do that every single month? Right. And, and what I'm going to look at, just tell everyone is if you have to debase your currency to continue further operations, you are bankrupt already. You, you shouldn't have to do that. If you're if you are putting enough energy and productivity into that into the dollar, then this wouldn't be a problem. Well, everyone is putting a lot of energy and productivity into the dollar. But then these people will turn on a spigot and just drain all the lifeblood and energy out of those people by inflating the unit in which they save and do business. So when I tell everybody you need to go get into cryptocurrency at least a little bit, it's so that you can hedge yourself against currency risk. And I really think the, that the Federal Reserve has started printing now that the inflation rate is going to be insane this year and people are now, they need to pay attention. No one, no one's going to save them from a, a failing currency and the idea that the U S dollar can't fail. If you look at the structure of a fiat monetary system, they can fail. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, throughout history, any government uh, fiat currency system has lasted an average of about 40 to 45 years. And we're right at that point since uh, the end of the, uh, uh, you know, the Breckenridge uh, uh, Agreement. Right. The Federal Reserve came around and it was like 30 something years later they had to do Bretton Woods. So what that was was the continuation of a massive Ponzi scheme. Mm -hmm. If if not Bretton Woods, there would have been a problem way back when. But because Bretton Woods, they kicked it to Nixon. Then Nixon took everyone off the gold standard. So this is really, really, you know, it's expert mass scale sleight of hand. And now they're down to 2000. Then it goes from Nixon to 2008. Ever since 2008, this is pure propaganda. The federal government prints up dollars and then they stick them where they can manipulate the uh, the data that's supposed to come out. So they'll blow, uh, you know, when when the government intentionally pushes inflation into the housing market. And they create a housing bubble. What are they doing? They're going to tax people more for those houses while they are inflating their currency. So they're getting hit coming and going, but they don't necessarily know it. And at the same time, they're looking at the at the value. You know what they're looking at is the value of their house going up in U.S. dollars, not realizing that what they're kind of seeing is inflation blow into their house. And now they're going to pay more in taxes. But the house itself has actually experienced another year of decay because that's the house. It's going to get older. It's going to require more maintenance. So you really screw with people's perception of how the whole transaction process works by screwing with the increment in which they measure it. Yeah, how does a house that uh, is going to be uh, getting depreciated every single year, how does it get more in value every single year without screwing up the monetary system? Right, and all that is is they blow the inflation in there. Um, remember when they were making you know mortgages uh, mandatory? Well, all the government was, the federal government was throwing regulations that just allowed Fannie and Freddie to monetize stuff. See, here's where I say for every dollar that everybody understands the Federal Reserve has printed, I'm going to make a claim that there's another one that they don't know about. It's called the black budget. The HUD and the Pentagon have come up with trillions of dollars missing. Now, at a certain point, when you're over several trillion dollars of missing funds, there's a question. How is this level of missing funds not accounted for in the monetary system? You know what I mean? We're not talking about chump change. We're talking about trillions missing. So when you have a hole in the monetary system because of the accounting of HUD and the Pentagon, what you have is a black budget printing press, which is what we've always had. We knew it was there. Is anybody under the impression that the Federal Reserve has to report every time they create dollars? They're not they're not required to do so. So I'm just going to make a soft claim that there is one dollar of black money floating around in the economy that no financial professional fundamentally has accounted for in their calculus. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in all of the inflation and in all of the overall uh you know m1 m2 all of those statistics i'm just gonna it's a soft claim because these people are not necessarily tethered to any reporting standard or laws or sanity and because that we already know that they manipulate the dollar i'm just gonna say they manipulate it more than we all think 
and that there's more dollars out there. And the only way you're ever really going to figure that out is to create a system like they have with stable coins. So you could push on if the Federal Reserve turns off the spigot of dollars and says, OK, no more. We print no more. Now you push all your dollars into the stable coin and we see how many dollars there are. Everybody would actually get an accounting of how many dollars were in all the bank accounts because now they all got pushed over onto blockchains. And, and then those old dollars would fundamentally experience a Viking funeral. They would be burned onto a blockchain and then no more would be printed from the Federal Reserve if you could get them to stop printing. So we could do that. But, you know, when somebody's trying to control a monetary system, me making suggestions about how to sanely account for that unit of measure, those those kind of conversations are not welcome. Yeah, I read the book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and just re it's remarkable how uh, how such a system can just be pulled over the, the eyes of, uh, of, of people. I mean, the whole system of taxation, it said in that book, the whole system of taxation wouldn't even be necessary, but people would realize how much inflation is hurting them, so they came up with this system of taxation to hide just the inflator rate from currencies being printed. Right, well, see, here's the thing. A, a bunch of smart-ass socialists, like, I don't hate on socialists. I have I have math arguments with socialists and I have work arguments with socialists. I don't hate on them. But they came up with a really great question is if you people are going to print money into existence, why isn't the only thing that we do is argue over the budget? And then once the budget is finalized, we print the budget into existence as the inflation. This is a much tighter um I don't, I don't like the word democracy, but let's just say everybody was really informed and, and we were going to exhibit democracy on informed consent of that. The monetary inflation of the system being put to the vote would have definitely informed people making that argument and definitely an informed people of how shit was getting paid for. But that inflation mechanic is not the explicit social good that is used to spend on defense or, um, you know, whatever social good you want to talk about that. It's we don't have an explicit monetary mechanic where, yes, we experience some monetary inflation. Yes, because populations go up, some monetary inflation is good. However, too much causes um, that unit of account to be worth less and less. So as long as there's a, a stable rate of inflation and, and there is no perfect argument as to how that works out, I can make some cryptocurrency examples if you want to get into it. But beyond that, I would just say a society that's making the kind of informed decisions that says our monetary system will inflate for these social goods and these social goods alone is an informed, civilized group of people who is intentionally using a monetary mechanic for um, social good that can happen but if you think about the level of education it takes for that group of people to play that game that's all master's degree plus level people that's a real informed consent talk i mean for what we would consider a master's degree education right now that's i spent the first 25 years of my life learning how to do stuff kind of person that's that's not the guy, you know, who's on the back of the garbage truck and the garbage men are the bearers of civilization. They keep us from dying to disease. So if we can't get the garbage men on the truck, it's not a good plan. And that's really what we're trying to do is get these systems down to everybody is only involved to the level that they understand and participate in. 
and there's no politicians in the middle. No inflationary mechanic. We learn to do a budget. We pay for shit through a budget. Everybody's informed transparently up front, and you play the games you want to play. That's it. Hmm. Yeah, you, uh, you, you really said a lot there. I think when it comes to education, you know, you talk about master's degrees to understand certain things, but uh, I'm thinking of the 15,000 hours of government indoctrination that we have from the time we're kindergarten until we get out of high school. So in order to uh, to change that whole paradigm, you'd have to have a whole new different outlook about education. I Exactly. Well, I, I understand. When I said master's degree education, I don't mean it takes that much time to do it. I mean, if anybody wants to know how much effort and time they have to spend other than their, you know, how much time in your educational life do you have to spend to get there? Now, if you look at the government education, I swear to God, man, it's a losing arbitrage trade on your time. The volume of stuff you learn from kindergarten to 13. If I didn't augment my own life outside of that, like there are kids who go home and they just don't do any other stuff because they're tired and they don't necessarily realize, yeah, you're tired. You need to move a little more, kid. You'll, you, will be, you will be obese by the time you're 18 if you only put that level of effort in. And, the, you know, the whole now everybody's home, but they're not supposed to go out and play with each other. So at a certain point, we have to recognize human beings used to be raised in the wild and they would play with each other. Mothers would find out one kid got chicken pox. They would take all the kids over there, get everybody to play with each other, play with the sick kid. Everybody's going to get chicken pox and we're all getting it done this week. You know, everybody schedules the chicken pox. So we've really been kind of, you know, daintied up to where people don't want to have hard conversations. Nobody understands the conversations because they didn't want to do the hard work. The very few people who do have to argue with the very worst people on the planet who will lie, cheat, steal, alter every record that they can get their hands on to craft a narrative. You know, the people who are just trying to contribute have to fight through the biggest group of liars on the planet just to be heard. And that paradigm has to change. And the only way I know that of to change it is to make sure that your media sphere is fundamentally irrelevant. That when, when the media is controlling an election to such a way, then the system is broken, not the media. Because you can't necessarily keep change the, the amount of volume of bullshit on the internet, but you can change the way people interact with the government, even though the internet is the sea of bullshit that it is. You can change that aspect. You just have to delineate the problem from not the internet to personal interaction with the greater whole of civil society. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting concept right there. I think that uh, that's why I say that this particular, this particular time in history is a blessing and a curse because I think people are staying at home realizing there's something going on with this, with, with the coronavirus, with the money system, with everything. I think that we might see another movement in a, in a liberty movement because uh, people are realizing that this there's something not right here. They can't they can't define it. They can't put their their arm on it or anything, but they know that there's something wrong. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, between you and I and everyone else out there talking this kind of truth, that people will start realizing where to go get their media information from. Well, listen, I did bio biological weapon stuff in the military, so what's going on is is the it's kind of the drill 
Like, this is kind of a drill for a serious biological weapon. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can live with that. However, we already know there's a group of lunatics who take advantage of stuff like this. So it, rather than pretending that washing your hands and repeating the phrase social distancing 150 times to every human being that you see and virtue, like this is, this is whole thing gives everybody a way to virtue signal. It could be a real threat. We don't know how bad of a threat it is, but now we see this wave of virtue signalers. They're just dying to comply to something. And now they're going to remind everybody instead of just putting a mask on and shutting the fuck up, you're going to get 10 billion hall monitors, 10 billion hall monitors of people. And, and, the, and that's the mentality we have to get away from. We don't need to be each other's hall monitor. We need to be each other's keeper. I will help you if there is a problem. Otherwise, I will shut up and move on. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so... They definitely have everybody corralled, right? Most people are on self-quarantine because they were told to. Well, when you're told to self-quarantine, it's being told to quarantine. So you could convince yourself that you're doing it voluntarily, or you can ask yourself, why the hell am I doing this? So you start doing a little bit of research, and you find out, okay, there might be a real problem. But if you're not doing this level of critical thinking with COVID-19, and you're willing to destroy your economic life over it, maybe you should start realizing that that level of critical thinking should be done with your politics last year and the year before that. Not just when we're all sitting at home, maybe getting the bioweapon. Yeah, Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your your book, A Direct Republic. I know that uh, um, when you uh, when you explain what a direct republic is, it uh, is, is a lot different than the system we live under. And it, you know, you, you talk about people voluntarily agreeing to certain things and taking out the the politicians in the middle. But what? How do you define what exactly what a direct republic is? How does that how does that differ compared to uh, a democratic republic that we have now? Okay. So I break this down in there's there's four ways. There's direct republic, there's direct democracy, there's constitutional republic, constitutional democracy. What's the germane? So we've changed terminology. What is the germane change in the language? Direct means you. Mm -hmm. Constitutional means by some constitution. Not necessarily American, just it is constitutional somewhere. Might not be here. Fine. A democracy is not really, I mean, I could try to redefine it, but that's a bunch of bullshit. It's people voting. Mm -hmm. It's that That's what it is. It's social agency, you know, the directness that was just described, and voting. And that's it. So method of adjudication is voting. The topic is put to whatever group. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, is anyone forced into that group? Because if you're forced into a method of adjudication, that's not really good. So, yes, there are people forced into the results of this vote. Even if they don't participate in the vote, they're, they're forced into the topic. So you don't really want to see the mob rule thing develop. So direct democracy carries the, the, the natural, you know, it killed Socrates. Mm-hmm. Direct democracy killed Socrates. So you don't really need too much more than that to understand there's a reason you would want to have a constitutional democracy, and that is to prevent the kind of Socrates outcomes. When you apply a constitution to a democracy, what do you get? You get rules on the democracy. That's it. 
you get some kind of filter. It could be a good filter. It could be a bad filter. We don't have to get into it. Well, that's what we have right now. If every single person was to replace their senator with themselves, instead of their senator representing them for the vote, they would represent themselves. The vote count would be higher, but we would see who did what. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. What is a republic then? Because we're told we have a constitutional republic, and the only thing that I have to do to turn it from a constitutional republic into a constitutional democracy is remove the representative. Now, the fun part is the representative where the real magic happens. That's where all the lying fuckery, misdirection, and horrors happen. So I'm trying to figure out how the very worst part of the process that requires the most amount of human trust is the only thing that makes democracy into a republic. So rather than centralizing the power and centralizing the money around that guy, we go back to everybody shows up in their own capacity. Everyone's going to vote for themselves, except we're not going to put all the issues to a vote. We're going to put all the issues to one bucket. You show up, you put your money in the bucket that you want. That way your vote is not controlled. And the funds that go into that bucket is also not controlled. So all the people who want EPA, they have their bucket. And all the people who want defense, they have their bucket. People might want to see what's on the defense list before they, before they put money in the bucket. Because some of that stuff is fuckery. Some of the people call it a golden parachute. A guy who understands the system gets out, starts up a company for military equipment that he knows the military needs. He sells it back to the military. So he know that the military had a need because he was there. He goes out, he invents the thing, he does all the R&D, he sells it to the military. Boom. So it's, it's redoing the system from the bottom up. A bottom-up legislature doesn't centralize around a constitution however what are we why how is this a togetherness of any kind without a legislature and it does come down to we have to have some kind of basic rule if we're all in the same room what are the basic rules no murdering no rape and no thieving that's kind of it that's really the basic rules we need everything after that you kind of sign up for mm-hmm So when you understand the process, you take away all of these logistical things that the government has done for a long time. The merchants did the roads for a long time. So when you look at models of how the merchants do the roads and not the government does the roads, you get better roads. You don't get road waste because there's not a bunch of roads that go out in the middle of nowhere where no one is because the businesses aren't going to pay for those roads. So you get tighter budgets because the actual enterprise is assessed by people who have to pay for it or pay for their kids college so they're going to make sure that that budget is done properly because it's not coming out of petty cash it's coming out of pennies college funds Mm -hmm. and that's that's where you get the accountability from you have professionals who know how to run things on a budget bidding to do work with an open budget because it's a public contract it's not hand selected by the mayor and done in the back room. And because listen, the, the easiest way is you go, you have to go figure out what a public blockchain is. And I mean, a true public decentralized one. I don't mean anything that has anything to do with privacy, because again, we're not really dealing with privacy. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Donnie, I appreciate it. There's just so much that we could talk about. Uh, I, I love hearing this uh, this information. Uh, I want to direct people to your website. Uh, it's just called the Directory of Public, correct? Oh, the null hypothesis of politics.com. Okay, the null hypothesis of politics.com. Yep. And uh, you and your your podcast is on uh, is on Spotify right now or Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's actually it's on Anchor and Anchor blows it into six different formats. So if you if you search Anchor, there are several formats. Spotify is one of them. That's usually the easiest to get to for me. Awesome. Um, I have a Twitter account. So, listen, everybody, the book is free. I guarantee you're going to learn at least one new thing, and everybody's home sick. So might as well spread it around because uh, a free book, and you're going to learn something new. I guarantee it. And that's about all I could really – it's less than 100 pages. So that's about what I understand to be human effort. If you're willing to read 100 pages to learn one new thing, you're on pace to be, you know, set, you're setting yourself up for success if you're willing to do that level of effort. Well, I can end it at that, uh, Donnie. Uh, you know, that's the challenge that most people have is willing to read uh, even 100 pages to, uh, to change their mindset. So. Yep, and it's less than that. I don't know how much. It's 85 in some formats, and I want to say it's like 79 in other formats. It just depends whether it's Kindle or uh Kindle or Nook or PDF and All right. Well, Donnie, thank you for your time. It definitely has been uh, uh enlightening and uh, informative. And uh, I'm just going to let people uh find you uh, where you told them to and uh and hopefully we can build a better society out of all this uh, crap that we've seen right now. Yeah, from the from the quarantine cometh something. We'll see what it looks like. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. You have a great day. Okay, Donnie. You too. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank Donnie Gebert for coming on this program. He is one of the myriad of thinkers who are demonstrating what it means to have an Invictus mind. Tune in next week for another great episode, and after that, for a unique 20th episode. Until then, be safe, be free, be unconquerable. Have an awesome day. <laughs>